This is episode 28 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Tiffany Turner. Tiffany is a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders. She owns a regional swallowing and voice clinic in Tulsa, serving patients throughout Oklahoma for fees, video stroboscopy, and swallowing and voice treatment. She is also on Oklahoma's Muscular Dystrophy Association team and serves at a monthly ALS clinic. Tiffany has published several clinical resource ebooks for adult medical SLPs, which are available on her clinic's website at www.tulsasnr.com. In this episode, we discuss the importance of multidisciplinary care with other professionals, treating the entire person, and why SLPs are so resistant to fees. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Hello everyone. Today is Valentine's Day that I'm recording this, so I hope you all have a wonderful Valentine's Day. I just love and adore all of you for tuning in every week, and I'm really excited about this episode. I just love Tiffany. She's one of my most favorite people in the world. She's just so patient-oriented, and she just has such an awesome clinic, it sounds like, so I'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode with her, but Of course, just a few announcements first. As always, we're eternally grateful to EndoHD for supporting this podcast every month. Um, So check them out at ndohd.com. And I've been getting a lot of emails about the Amp Care uh, Neuromuscular Electrical Stimulation Device Course, etc. So you guys can still go check that out at www.swallowtherapy.com forward slash SYP. If you use that link, I do get a small commission, um, but you can still take that course. It's an advanced CEU course for only a hundred bucks. So if you guys have questions about it, feel free to email them. They're the nicest guys in the world. They'll answer any of your questions. Um, but if, if you just want to know what it's all about, you can take that course online for just a hundred bucks. So super steel. And I am super excited because we're going to be launching officially uh, my new Med SLP Solution membership site. So we did a pre-sale a few weeks ago. We got close to 500 members already signed up. That's wild. Um, so clearly there's a need to get some of this really good information out there. So I'm really proud of what the membership site has become. I've got, I think, over 10 people contributing as experts to these resources. We've got some ASHA fellows that are reviewing the material. So all the material is blind peer reviewed. So if you're interested in checking that out, go to bit.ly bit.ly forward slash med med slp solution. And you can learn more about that. So we'll be launching that again next week. And I would like to do another since it is Valentine's Day, I want to get all lovey dovey here. So I want to read another iTunes review of the week. And I can't I can't tell who wrote this. Karen D-Y-O Core. We're going to go with that. So it says, well done. Thank you for all your hard work with this podcast. The information is thorough, research-based, and delivered in a fun and dynamic format. 
the podcast keep my mind alert. I found myself digging into more research while treating my patients in a more detail-oriented manner as a result of the material covered in each episode. Keep it up. I will. And those are exactly the kind of reviews that I love to read. I know I say this like a bajillion freaking times, but totally the reason I started this podcast is if I can just give you guys a little bit of that information and then you can go download the show notes. Um, Tiffany put together awesome show notes for this episode too. So you go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash S-Y-P podcast 028, or you can text S-Y-P 028 to 44222 to download the show notes. And they all have clickable PubMed links, so you can pull up the articles right from the notes. So I'm so glad to hear that it's changed your practice in that way. That's really all that I'm trying to do with this podcast. So without further ado, here is Tiffany. Hi, Tiffany. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to have you on here. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Good. I know when I first started this podcast, you were like one of the first people on my hit list to get on here. Mm-hmm. So I'm so glad that we finally made this work. So oh, me too. Okay. So I, I told the people a little bit about you in the beginning, but tell us who you are. All right. I own Swallowing Neurological Rehab, or SNR, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we're a regional swallowing and voice center, so we see patients kind of from throughout the state and surrounding areas, and I also write ebooks for other SLPs on different medical adult SLP topics, so that's a little bit about me. Yes, I think everyone knows you as the ebook girl. <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're all like, they're all such good content. Like, I mean, you just, you make such good resources for everybody out there. And I think that's something that in our field, you know, lacks, unfortunately, the, you know, we do have some resources, but some of them aren't that good. So I think Mm -hmm. yours are just awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I kind of started making them for myself when I didn't have very many resources starting out and then it just kind of grew from there. But (laughs) yeah, that's awesome. So talk a little bit more about, about why you started them. Yeah. So when I first started my CFY, um, we actually lived on the Oklahoma-Kansas border. And so I started out at a SNF that was in a really rural area, um, very small nursing home. And I really didn't know much of anything going into it, kind of like a lot of us. And I actually showed up my first day and there was a travel SLP on like a 13-week assignment. And it was her last week and my first week. And they kind of made it overlap so that she could kind of show me some things. Um, my CF supervisor was actually offsite at the hospital because this was such a small place. There was barely even enough of a caseload for one SLP. So she wasn't there, but she would come in occasionally. So when I first walked in and was kind of setting up my stuff, the travel SLP asked me, you know, oh, do you need help unloading your stuff? And, you know, what standardized tests did you bring? What all materials do you have? And I had nothing with me. Yeah. And I didn't know I was supposed to bring all that. And she was like, every Everything on the shelf is mine. I'm taking it with me at the end of the week. And, you know, you'll need to get some supplies. They don't provide anything here. And, you know, in retrospect, those are things I should have asked in the interview. But through newbie fashion, I did it. And I showed up with nothing, didn't know what was going on. And so I kind of panicked and started looking at, you know, what do I need to do? And 
So that first few months I did buy some things and I took a lot of online CEUs, um, even though they don't count during your CFY, but I needed to know what I was doing. So I started just trying to figure things out myself and, and I started making, you know, handouts and things for my patients and worksheets I could use and kind of started accumulating things from early on. One thing I'm really big on is patient education. So I like to, you know, give my patients a handout about their diagnosis, kind of explaining it and explaining the treatment approaches and how that can help and kind of breaking it down in simple terms. And so I started making a lot of handouts and just a lot of things. And the more things I accumulated, the more I thought, you know, there have to be a lot of other SLPs out there who could benefit from this and who are in the same boat. And so that's where my first ebook was born. And the first one was the starter kit. And that was in 2014. And then that one's just kind of a mix of all these different things I had created up until that point. And then after that, I've kind of you know, made more specific ones on different topics, but it just kind of evolved from there. That kind of became my side mission. So I love it. Well, I think what's so great about it is I know my one, I had a CF a few years ago and I like kind of the same thing, you know, I was like, have you heard of this test or have you heard of this? And she's Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like (laughs) none of my placements had anything. And I'm like, what do you use that? Like, what are you doing? She's like, I don't know. I just kind of like make stuff up or I like pull it off the internet. And I'm like, okay, you like need something. Yeah. And she's like, well, this girl Tiffany has this like starter kit. Like, I think I could just download it on the internet. And I'm like, do, yeah, I'm like, do that now. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You need something now. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty bad. Yeah. And then and one thing I get asked a lot about too. So since then I have supervised several CFs and students and I get asked a lot about documentation and that's something that people really struggle with is how to word things or how to, you know, describe what they're seeing. And so, you know, my most recent one up until now, they've all been clinical resources that way, but my most recent one's actually a documentation guide. So kind of a gold bank and full sample reports on different topics, you know, swallowing evals, AAC evals, and a little bit of everything, because sometimes it just kind of helps to see how someone else would word it to kind of get you started. And totally. so that one has been, I've been getting a lot of good feedback on that one already, which is encouraging. Yeah. So that's kind of something that was missing, I felt like. So. That's awesome. And, and your husband kind of plays a role in all this too? He's the behind the scenes of everything that yeah. I do for the clinic, for the ebooks, for he does the website, our billing, our everything. Yeah, he yeah. set up this microphone I'm using right now. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I know, I love it. Everyone's like, Tiffany, where do you come up with this stuff? You're like, no, my husband yeah. does it all. Yeah, that's great. Teamwork's great. Yeah. Yes. All right. So let's let's talk about your clinic a little bit too, because I think I mean the ebooks are crazy cool, but I mean you also have this really incredible state-of-the-art clinic that I think a lot of private practices are probably extremely jealous of. Yeah, so the clinic, I started it in 2014, so around the same time that I started, that I actually published the first book that I put together. But at my practice, we have kind of a unique caseload that's a combination of ENT referrals. So we see a lot of, you know, dysphagia, dysphonia, kind of structural things or head and neck cancer, that type of thing. And then the other half of our caseload, we see a lot of progressive neurological conditions. So we work with several local neurologists. And like I mentioned earlier, I'm on the MDA team. So Muscular Dystrophy Association and ALS falls under that and a lot of different types of MD and Um, And then we also work with a neurologist who specializes in movement disorders. So we see a lot of Parkinson's and PSP and so kind of a unique mix of progressive diagnoses and then those ENT type patients. 
So I wanted to kind of talk a little about MDA team and about, you know, ALS and kind of what I do with those patients a little bit here, because that's something I actually get emails about a lot. And I, I see those patients when they come to the MDA clinic, which is a, a once a month thing, but then they go back and they sometimes work with their home health SLPs or, you know, speech therapists, wherever they live in the state. And I get a lot of emails kind of asking what, what to do with them. And so I thought this would be a good place maybe to talk about that a yeah, little bit too. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. So the MDA clinic meets once a month and we meet at the neurologist's office, but there's a, a lead neurologist and then another neurologist and myself and a physical therapist, respiratory. So it's kind of a whole team dietitian. And we all go there that one day, kind of like a one-stop stop. So, you know, for these patients, they're in power wheelchairs. It's hard for them to get to multiple appointments. So it's kind of an easy way for them to see everyone that they need in one day. So, you know, my role on that, again, it's primarily ALS that we see, but there are a lot of things under that MDA umbrella. But you know, my role is to work with their swallowing and all, you know, and of course, voice banking and AAC, but this is about swallowing. So I'll talk about swallowing here, but I assess their swallowing, you know, periodically to try to kind of help them figure out when to start using the peg tube and when to, you know, make adjustments. Our neurologist on the MDA team is really big on early peg placement. So most of these patients, you know, have a peg tube even when I first see them and before they have any trouble swallowing. And he, he likes to do that because as soon as they start to have diaphragm weakness, that surgery becomes more risky and gotcha. even going under anesthesia is risky. And so he really pushes for them to get that early before they need it swallowing wise. So, you know, my role is kind of assessing their swallowing periodically and kind of helping them figure out when do we need to start using that for certain things, you know, maybe medications we need to start getting in liquid form and putting in that, but they can still eat okay. Or, you know, we kind of gradually adjust that as we go. And energy conservation is a big, a big thing with this population that I, again, I kind of help those, the other SLPs as they go back to home health or other settings with that. But I go in with the dietitian a lot and we really tag team on that because we want them to get, you know, as many calories as they can and as much nutrition and things that are easy to swallow. So, you know, I use the example, if you're eating a salad, that takes a lot of chewing and a lot of effort of all those muscles for not much, you know, nutrition, right. not much calories. And so we'll go in together and we've actually put together a packet of things that are calorie dense, have a lot of nutrition that are really easy to swallow. And oh, that's we cool. kind of tag team. Yeah, that discussion and, you know, play up that. And of course, time of day, you know, to eat their harder things to eat earlier in the day versus later when those muscles are tired. And so energy conservation, you know, is a big part of what, what I work on with them. And another thing I get asked about a lot with that is exercise. So the controversial, do you do exercise right. with ALS? And other SLPs will ask me that a lot. And so I thought this would be a good time to kind of talk about that too. But yeah. You know, and surprisingly, I show up a lot and every month at MDA, there are patients who have swallowing exercises they've gotten online or, you know, especially for the bulbar onset ones, they, that's one of their first symptoms and they want to do something about it. So a lot of times they come to me with random lip and tongue exercises or things that they've found and because they want to do something. And, you know, while I don't, really heavily push exercises with that population because they are rapidly declining. If they want to do them, I guide them in that. And, you know, the way I kind of explain it to them is we used to think that, you know, ex 
exercises are just scary with ALS, that it will make make them get worse. Don't ever do that. And that's kind of what I was taught even in grad school. But, you know, we now know it doesn't make them get worse. It doesn't make their ALS worse or make anything progress. But what we're really dealing with is fatigue. We don't want to over fatigue those muscles when they're already weak and they're getting weaker. So I kind of explain it like if we have, you know, if we're looking at their pharyngeal muscles and only 70% are working now. So let's say 30% aren't working at all. Um, you know, doing exercises won't bring back that 30%. It won't, you know, bring back something that's gone, but we can keep that 70% as strong as possible for as long as possible and kind of help them maintain, again, watching out for fatigue. So, you know, that 70% is now doing 100% of the job. So we don't want to make those muscles really tired right before we eat a meal or right before, you know, that kind of thing. So I always emphasize for them to do exercises after a meal rather than before so they're not overtiring right before they eat. And in particular, one exercise that I've been recommending a lot the last year or so is EMST. So expiratory muscle strength training, that little EMST 150 device. I think someone has talked about that on here before. Yeah. But Emily Plavin has a lot of good you know, research with ALS, and I try to follow her work and keep up with that since that's something I work with a lot. But EMST is something that has good research with ALS to kind of help them maintain their swallow and cough and voice and all those things for as long as possible and you know and in my experience it's just it's easier for them to do than a lot of the other exercises they can keep it handy by their chair at home and just grab that each day and use that and and they like that and they you know they're doing something productive so that's something I would would recommend looking into if that's a you know population that you work with at all. Let me let me ask you the million dollar question Tiffany so (laughs) so who pays for the EMST device? The patient, sadly, in this situation, the patient, I know there are patient facilities who buy it and that is wonderful, but I'm in private practice and I can't pay for everything for every patient. I wish I could. Um, And there are situations where I have if they cannot, but um, the patient buys that and it's around $50. Yeah. So it's not covered by insurance. Right. Not covered by it. Yeah. And typically the patients will buy those and there have been situations where I have bought them, but unfortunately that's not covered, but hopefully at some point that will be, yeah. Or maybe the MDA clinic or, you know, some facilities will buy those sometimes too. So, yeah. So you do, I like, yeah, we, this is a swallowing podcast, but you do do a lot of voice banking and AAC stuff with them as well. Yes. So voice banking is one of the early things, again, that we, you know, try and emphasize before they start to lose their voice. So some of the ones that we see that are the more bulbar onset, you know, even early on voice and swallowing are their first symptoms. But for the other, you know, more spinal type, we try and get them to voice bank early on and they may never need those recordings, but if and when they do, they have them. Model Talker is a a good program that we use for that. And so it has lots of sentences, like 1,600 sentences. And the patient just has to have a headset and a microphone and, you know, create an account. And the different sentences come up on the screen and they read them and record them. Again, I recommend that they do that, you know, spend maybe 30 minutes or so a day and do it early in the day while their voice is strong because again those muscles get tired throughout the day and most people can knock that out in a couple weeks and it's really neat because then that can be downloaded on their AAC device and can be used to say anything not just pre-programmed things so they can type out a sentence and it will be in that voice that sounds pretty close to theirs so if they did voice speaking so 
Yeah. What's the name of that program again, Tiffany? That's called Model Talker. And it used to be free, which, and it's now free to record, but I think there's a fee to pay if you download it on an AAC device later. Gotcha. So, yeah. That's so cool. I mean, you're, you're incredible in that you have, you know, you are essentially the, the MD ALS clinic, but, you know, I guess give, give the listeners some advice on how maybe they could find an ALS clinic in their town or, you know, because I think a lot of times these patients come to us as our first line of defense. And that's one thing mm-hmm. that I want us as SLPs to get better at is, is knowing the resources in the community. You know, yes, I mean, we know definitely. there's 50 ENTs in the area, but do we know mm-hmm. if any of them are laryngologists? Right. You know, so exactly. I guess mm-hmm. if you have any tips for helping, you know, people make yes. those kind of connections. Yeah. And so for ALS specifically, um, MDA, so the Muscular Dystrophy Association and ALSA, the ALS Association are two organizations that host ALS clinics throughout the country. So in Oklahoma, MDA is the only organization that has a clinic, but there are other states where ALSA hosts the clinic, but each state has some type of clinic like that. And our Tulsa one started about two and a half years ago, but before that, there was just one in Oklahoma City for the whole state. But most states do have something like that. And it is nice because it is kind of a one-stop shop and, you know, everyone there specializes in ALS. In our situation, you know, I see the patients there and then they may go back and work with their home health SLP or, you know, because they may be traveling to us from far away, but then all of us on the team can kind of guide their people back at home on, you know, what we're working with them on and kind of direct them. So it's a really good resource. They have support groups and, you know, loaner banks where they can get equipment. So a lot of times, you know, for different reasons, if they I've already gone on hospice or certain things. We can't always get them a communication device if it's not covered by insurance. And so MDA has a loaner bank where they have equipment that can be borrowed and lots of great resources. And actually, even if patients travel, it's kind of neat. They can borrow from, you know, the MDA or ALSA in other states. So we have some patients that, you know, when they travel, they need certain medical equipment and they don't want to take all that on the plane or, you know, and when they get to wherever they're going, they contact MDA there and they'll come and provide them, you know, equipment for their room, for their bed or whatever they need. So it's really a great, great resource. So MDA and ALSA are great for that particular population. But really, you know, for any kind of patient that I see, I've been talking about MDA, but for anything at our clinic, you know, it is so important to have those referral sources in other disciplines. You know, we see a lot of other things, head and neck cancer, and a lot of times we'll refer them to GI. You know, maybe they need a dilation after the, the fibrosis from radiation or different things. And, you know, it's so important that we kind of have those connections in our area of all the different disciplines and that we are able to kind of get them connected where they need to go because, you know, sadly, sometimes everyone's kind of looking at their one piece of the puzzle, but no one does that for the patient. You know, we right. see a lot of people who have seen a lot of different doctors or a lot of things, but they all look at their one piece and no one kind of ties that all together. So, you know, sometimes we get to spend more time with them than the doctor and we can kind of, you know, be the one to do that, which is great. Yeah. I think, I think it was Eric Blicker said, I think it was him on the podcast that said, you know, there's ear, nose, and throat doctors. There's ear, nose, and throat. There's ear, nose, and throat. And there's ear, nose, and throat. You know, so we're, we yes. are just doing our patients a disservice if we just pick one and say, go right. see this person. You know, and I guess it's exactly. the same as as an SLP too. You know, you wouldn't mm-hmm. want it is. someone yeah. with, with ALS going to see an early intervention SLP, you know. Right. 
exactly it's the same thing yeah and yeah that kind of so you know I've been talking about MDA but kind of the other part of our caseload is a lot of ENT referrals and you know kind of along those lines a lot of them you know they will admit they don't know a lot about swallowing and voice but the patient does get sent to them and so they see them and they do a scope and if they don't see anything structurally wrong they're not really sure what to do and they send them to me so you know a lot of the patients actually that we do get from ENTs have no diagnosis when they come to us and so Um, that's actually kind of the next thing I had planned to talk about is how, you know, when we evaluate them, it's so important that we, you know, look at the whole person, not just what they're there for, swallowing or voice. And, you know, what happens a lot of times is they start to have a swallowing or voice problem over maybe several years and they go to their PCP who sends them to really literally a random ENT out of the phone book who doesn't work with swallowing and voice and they get sent there and they're on a six month wait list and then they go there and they scope them and they say, oh, everything looks fine and they send them to speech therapy. So, you know, they come to us and, you know, they don't have a diagnosis, but a lot of times we can be the one to kind of help point them in that direction. You know, I've literally had doctors tell me that at the hospital they work at, they're told they can only spend 15 minutes with the patients because they have quotas and they have, you know, all these demands. And, you know, one doctor kind of joked about it. I work with geriatrics. It takes me that long to get them on the exam table, but, you know, for not reason, you know, it's not always their own fault, but they don't always get to spend the time that we do with the patients. And, you know, we can kind of be their eyes and ears and help to refer them to where they need to go. That's such a good point too. Yeah. 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 And so kind of an example that that brought to mind is about a year ago, we had a patient and this actually is is very common that we've had ENT referrals who've ended up having major underlying diagnoses that weren't uncovered. But this particular patient was referred to us about a year ago. And Stacy, my other speech pathologist, was still in her CFY then. And so we were going to be seeing him together. And I was about to do an assessment on him in a fees while she fed him and kind of assisted me with that. And we walked through the waiting room. We hadn't brought him back yet or even interacted with him at all. But we saw him sitting there and we got back in the exam room and we were discussing amongst ourselves how he had, you know, how his eyelids were severely drooping. So severe ptosis, which, you know, as we know, that's typically a neurological sign. That's something we see a lot with myasthenia gravis and muscular dystrophy and a lot of neurological things. So severe ptosis and and then I'm pulling up his referral, reading it before we were about to see him. And he had been to multiple ENTs, GIs, and he had actually traveled out of state to a voice center. And they did do an MBS on him there and it showed UES dysfunction was the main thing. So lots of residue that wasn't clearing, which again, common with neurological diagnoses. So he had had his esophagus stretched. He had done all these things and he was actually a retired physician himself. So he was kind of hesitant to come see us because he had done everything already, but Anyway, so we bring him back and, you know, we, we do our cranial nerve exam first and our clinical eval. And, you know, I think it's important that we are comfortable asking them about other physical symptoms. So again, looking outside of just what they're there for, you know, we could just look and see he has UES dysfunction and give him some exercises and call it good. But why is this happening? Why has this gotten so bad over the years? And so in his situation, you know, I, I pointed it out. I said, I noticed you're having some trouble with your eyes. You know, do you have any other physical weakness or any tremors or any other thing, you know, different going on with your body lately? And he kind of made a joke about it. He said, oh, you don't like my bedroom eyes. And he kind of laughed about it. But he went on to say that he had actually had two eyelid lift surgeries over the past 10 years. So 
10 years ago, his eyes started drooping. He had eyelid lift surgery and then they started drooping again and he had it again. And over this time, his swallowing had gotten worse and worse. And again, he had been sent to ENTs, GIs, you know, but never to a neurologist. And so we went ahead and did our eval and did our fees and fees showed the same thing the MBS had lots of residue in the piriforms, just nothing really clearing, taking multiple swallows. And so I mentioned that, you know, I thought he should go see a neurologist. And I kind of pointed out that a lot of times that cluster of symptoms together can be something neurological and it would be good to roll that out. And Again, he was a retired physician. He was kind of hesitant to do that, but he did go and see, um, I actually referred him to the neurologist too as the head of the MDA team because we work closely with him. And so I set up a referral for him there and which he ended up moving. He didn't actually come back to us, but we got a call about a month later from him and he called and asked to talk to me and he just wanted to say thank you to us for directing him there to the neurologist because he actually did get diagnosed with OPMD, which is oculopharyngeal muscular dystrophy, which honestly, Stacy and I were talking about that, just seeing him in the waiting room, which you can't, you know, you can't diagnose that, right. but again, putting the whole picture together, not just looking right. at his following, but what else is going on with him. And he actually did get diagnosed with OPMD. And, you know, he called and thanked us and he said that actually his son, who was in his 50s, was starting to have some of those same symptoms and he was happy to kind of figure out what had been going on and kind of, you know, figure out what that was. And and he ended up getting referred for a myotomy. So another thing, you know, with OPMD, that's kind of a, a gold standard because a lot of times they do have UES dysfunction. And, you know, we know that the UES has to relax neurologically and then that hyaluronal excursion pulls it open. But with them, a lot of times it's that relaxation that is impaired. And so a myotomy is kind of a, a gold standard for OPMD. And so he got referred on for that and was just really happy that we figured out what was going on and kind of got him there. And again, you know, and that's actually not the only patient that that's happened with. You know, we've had ENT referrals who had ALS. You know, we had a referral that just said unspecified dysphonia and they walk in and they're hypernasal and they're dysarthric. And, you know, so, you know, anyone who comes to us that has dysphagia and doesn't have a diagnosis and it's been going on for some time, you know, a lot of times pharyngeal dysphagia is neurological in nature. And so, you know, if they don't have a diagnosis and, and they have these symptoms that are kind of unexplained, it, you know, it's our job to ask more about that and ask about other symptoms they've had and kind of direct them because, you know, the ENT may just look at their throat and the GI may just look at their esophagus, but who's looking at the whole person, you know, and surgeons will literally lift their eyelids and not figure out why they keep drooping. So it, let's, you know, get them where they need to go. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so cool, Tiffany. I think it's so great. I mean, that you're, you know, committed to spending that much time with your patients, you know, I mean, with the state of where, you know, the economy is and how everyone's just all about billing and productivity and, you know, getting as much out of the insurance dollars as possible. You know, you guys always seem to just put such an emphasis on patient care and making sure that you get the right information, you know, regardless of if, if that's getting covered. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that's hard for people, you know, in other settings, but again, you know, we have longer to spend on an assessment definitely than a physician. And if it is someone that we're seeing inpatient, you know, we're going to be seeing them over several sessions. So, you know, pause the eval and continue it next time if you don't have enough time, but don't cut corners, just, you know, right. figure out how you can do all those things and definitely right. very important. So. 
So do yeah. you guys, when you bring someone in for an eval, you do your cranial nerve and your CSE exam right away. Do you then go right to fees that same or strobe that same session or do they come back for that? We try to do it all at once, especially yeah. we do get a lot of patients who come from, you know, a couple hours away or, um, or we have ENTs kind of in a different area that we'll refer just for imaging or different things. But generally gotcha. we try and fax the doctor and get orders for the fees or the video strobe ahead of time. If we think it looks like they'll need it so that we can do it all at once to kind of save them a trip and we'll leave, you know, an hour, hour and a half to do that and be sure we can get all that done. And if we, sometimes the eval does take longer than we planned and we, you know, do have to do the instrumental next time if we have another patient booked or something, but we try to. So, yeah. you know, I feel like the clinical part isn't super helpful without the instrumental. So I really yeah, believe in totally, absolutely. calling and voice having an instrumental, you know, if possible. So, yeah, yeah. I know there's just always um, some controversy over whether you can go right from a CSE to a fees like mm -hmm. in the same day. And I think it sounds silly. Like, why not? Right. You yeah. Know? Let's I make mean, them drive three I hours mean, again the next week. And yeah. Like you're yeah. suspecting something. You have the equipment. You have the time. You have the patient. You might as well do it. Yeah. Right. And so on our referral form, we do have a box specifically for fees and video strobe. And most of the doctors. ENTs especially who work with us a lot, you know, they will go ahead and check that box as indicated so that if they need it and they're there that day, we can go ahead and do it. So that helps that's a great. lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So, yeah. So the team approach is just so important and, you know, we're not always on site with these other specialists, but we can communicate with them. And, you know, the MDA clinic is a unique thing because we are all there on site once a month, but you know, normally I'm just at my private practice clinic and it's me and my other SLP, but we don't have, you know, doctors there on site, but, you know, it's important that we have connections for all these different specialists so that we can refer to them. And, you know, anytime that we do refer a patient to an ENT or to a GI or a neurologist, you know, we always make a point to call them after they see them and, you know, follow up with the doctor. What did you find? And kind of that continuity of care, and making sure that, you know, nothing falls through the cracks. And so definitely I would recommend that everyone have, you know, an ENT, GI, neurologist, you know, in your area that you know, and even other things kind of within the therapy field, you know, lymphedema is a big thing that we will refer for with our head, neck cancer patients. Do you refer them out to PT? We refer to OT. There's an OT okay. right now in Tulsa who is a certified lymphedema specialist. Okay. Actually, we're taking a course later this year, so I'm really excited about that. But we see a lot of that, you know, more in the acute who have just had radiation, those types yeah. of patients that have a lot of um, lymphedema, but we'll refer them there. Um, and then for a lot of head and neck cancer patients, kind of after the fact, we also see a lot, you know, who had radiation 10 years ago and they were fine and then scar tissue builds up and, you know, several years later, they have a lot of trouble and myofascial release and manual therapy is huge with them. We've had really good results with those patients. Um, but before we became trained to do that ourselves, we referred to a PT who did manual therapy. So it's just important, you know, that you know what all's out there besides what you do and can kind of send people to the right, right direction that way. Yeah. I know I, I interviewed Walt Fritz a few episodes mm -hmm. back. He's a PT that teaches the myofascial release. And yeah, I thought that was just the coolest 
Yes, it has been amazing. Yeah, 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 that's been so good for a lot of our patients. Um, head, neck cancer, and muscle tension. We use it a lot for muscle tension, you know, dystonia and muscle tension dysphagia, and that's something that's really helpful for that. And they really like that, and that you can, you know, see results pretty quickly with it, which is great. Cool. Yeah. All right. So you're you you guys have the fees equipment in your office, but do you guys do do you take the equipment out anywhere? We are just starting to actually. So um, we have our cart set up in our office and have our endoscopy suite there, but we're actually just getting started um, with mobile. So I've had the clinic for about four years now, and we got our endoscopy suite in the clinic about a year and a half ago, but you know, kind of what led us to do that to begin with is, you know, the trouble that we had getting swallow studies prior to that. So um, before I was able to do fees in our office, we had trouble getting people in for swallow studies, you know, in a timely manner and the places that we would send them. And also, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we get patients from all over the state from different, you know, inpatient places or sniffs. And a lot of times the report that we would get from their swallow study would have two sentences and not really say much and not much for us to go by. And then it would be difficult for us to, you know, get them another study soon that we need right. to kind of get started. Right. And um, you know, a lot of things, we would see things like, you know, that they took one bite on the study and then they aspirated. So they stopped the study. <laughs> I'm like, yep, don't stop yep. the study, but right. that's the point of it. We want to see them aspirate so as we can see what's going on and why and right. what strategies help. And so just, you know, we kind of wanted to be able to do more in-depth studies and kind of have control over it as the treating therapist. And so that's something that we added about a year and a half ago. And now we're, you know, we are starting to, to go mobile. But one thing I'm realizing as we're starting to do that is just how most SLPs in Oklahoma have no experience with fees, myself included, you know, in grad school, one day, I think in our dysphagia class, it was just briefly mentioned. And otherwise, yeah, that, that's exactly my story. It was like yeah. one slide in grad school. Yeah, it was like, here's all these cool MBSs. And then there's this other test too. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So we watched tons of MBS videos, but we never talked about fees, never saw a video of it, nothing. And, and so I think, you know, I think a lot of Oklahoma SLPs are in that same boat. It's just unfamiliar territory and, you know, it sounds invasive. It sounds scary. Oh, you're sticking something in their nose. I don't know about that. And, you know, I think we all were scared the first time that we were scoped or the first time we did a scope, but it's something yeah. that when you learn about it and you realize what all you can see and it really is an invaluable tool. And, and so right now we're really trying to, you know, kind of educate locally and kind of help advocate for that because it's something that just really hasn't been done much in Oklahoma. And it's such a great tool that we can offer to our patients. And, you know, again, one thing that we're big on is patient education, kind of like I mentioned, you know, earlier and with a lot of the MBS you know, reports that we were getting from other places and from our patients, you know, we would have a patient who had had an MBS and we would ask them kind of at their evaluation, you know, what did it show or what did they tell you? And they would have no idea. <laughs> like it, no one ever explained to them, you know, and these are coherent patients that just, yeah, they, yeah. I don't know, I swallowed something and then they, that was all, I don't know what happened. And so with, you know, fees, we can leave the scope in place longer and we do a really thorough assessment 
you know, and we'll tell patients ahead of time, particularly in outpatient, if there's a certain food that they have trouble with, bring it, you know, and we can look at that on the test. And we, you know, if there's a pill you have trouble with, then you can take it at that time, bring it. And we encourage them to do that and try and do a really thorough assessment. And, you know, one thing we always do is play back the video for the patient and explain it to them. And I think that's something that's missing, you know, with a lot of other swallow studies. And before we ever start, I show them a diagram and kind of explain you know, where the scope goes. And I point out all the structures and what aspiration is and what penetration is and residue. And, um, and then we do the test and then we play back the video for them. And I actually have a form that I've put together of, you know, kind of some findings and treatment recommendations that I fill out for them right then. So we play the video back and I explain, you know, here's, here's what happened and here's how we can help. And these are the exercises that would help. And I give them a little checklist just right then. Of course, I write up the full report later, but even when they leave, they have something, you know, they know what we found on the test. And yeah. um, I don't ever want my patients going to, you know, another medical professional and they say, what did the test show? And they say, I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I don't want them yeah. to leave knowing nothing. So patient education, you know, even when we're not doing a clinical eval, just a fees, we book that for an hour and it takes us that whole time to explain everything to them and play the video back. And, you know, we have to play the video back anyway to write our report. Let's play it and show it to the patient right. and let them right. you know, do that and explain it to them as we go. I can't remember, I can't, I think it might've been like the ASHA convention a few years ago, but someone did a study. I wish I could figure out who it was, but someone did a study. They, they put like a, you know, just kind of a quick video of a study on like an iPad mm-hmm. and they showed it to the patient before the test and just said, you know, like, these are the structures we're looking at. Here's kind of a sample of what we're going to be looking at and like showed a patient being scoped. And like what mm-hmm. they had found that like the patients that saw that video before versus the patients that didn't had much less anxiety during the test and they were much more engaged yeah. and trying to do strategies and just got a lot more patient buy-in just by preparing them, yes. you know, ahead of time with just like a quick video on an iPad or something. And I keep, Definitely. it's like, it kills me that I can't like find <laughs> that presentation or something. Cause, yeah, what that study, yeah, that study. Yeah, yeah. That's so huge though. And yeah, we have yeah. a we have two different diagrams actually in that room that we keep with us, but the side view where we kind of show where the scope goes and then we show that aerial view like we see on the scope and kind of explain yeah. the structures. And you know, a lot of times if they are apprehensive about it, we tell them, you know, we've all done it and everyone in our office has been scoped. Me, Stacy, and even our office assistant, who's my mother-in-law, Connie, and we yeah. tell them you know, everyone in our office has been scoped. It's no big deal. You get to join the club. And, you know, we kind of, yeah. try and ease their anxiety about it. And I think just explaining it helps so much with that. We show them it's not going very far back. It doesn't impede the swallow and kind of show them what, you know, what we're doing and, and then playing it back for them afterward. And they really appreciate getting to see that, you know, and I've actually had, we've had patients who have said on their scope at the ENT that their head was turned and they couldn't even see it and they never got to see it. You know, just pointing out the structures, they appreciate that and they want to know, you know, why they're there and what can be done to help. And so patient education is just huge. Yeah. I had a guy, I think maybe like two or three days ago. I mean, just like the teeny tiniest, cutest little old man. And he was like obsessed with watching the video and he'd take a (laughs) swallow. And then he was like, it didn't go in that black hole. And I was like, no, it didn't. And he was, he was like glued to it. Like every bite he would take and he was like, 
it didn't go in the black hole. We're good. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And we hear all kinds of things, you know, it looks like an alien or all yeah. kinds of things that it looks like or yeah. you know, how amazing it is. And but yeah. yeah, they they like seeing that. And we actually have, you know, a HIPAA secure system set up where we can actually email the videos to the patients. So we do that to oh, the ones that it. want that. We have a form yeah. where they can write down their email and we can actually send them a HIPAA secure link to the video. And, you know, they like that. So if they ever want to share that with another doctor or just pull it up and refresh what we talked about. They have our report and our videos too, which I feel like, you know, is helpful as a patient. I would want access to what I had had done. So, yeah. Oh, that's so cool, Tiffany. Yeah. So you, how, how recent did you guys get the fees equipment? It hasn't been too long, right? Maybe We've had it about a year and a half. Yeah. I think it was October of 2016 is when I first took the course and started doing skips. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been just a game changer in your practice. It has. Yeah. Fees and video strip both. There was really no one doing video strip at all in our area. Um, even most of the ENTs are not laryngologists. And so they just do, you know, a scope, but they don't do video strobe and of course not fees. And so um, it has been a game changer. It's been great to just be able to have such, you know, easy access to it. And now we typically always do a pre and post test. So we'll do, you know, fees or a video strobe, and then we'll do a few weeks of treatment and then we repeat it to kind of measure progress. And again, showing that to the patient, you know, we show them side by side, the two videos of their pre-test and post-test, and it gives them something objective to kind of see the progress. And so that's a great tool for biofeedback too. It's been really helpful. I, I love the biofeedback aspect. If you are interested in a compact fee system for either your clinic or your hospital, uh, be sure to check out EndoHD. It's designed by speech language pathologists, specifically for speech pathologists. And it's a highly maneuverable cart with integrated stereo audio, remote access for service, can store up to 100,000 10-minute studies. That's a lot of storage. But at Altara Vision, they combine cutting-edge technology with clinician-inspired devices and phenomenal customer service to make the best imaging devices in the country. So go to www.ndohd.com forward slash contact to discuss your specific fee system requirements, pricing, or to request a live product demo. So now you're taking it on the road. Yes, we're excited. Just have to get the Oklahoma SLPs on board. <laughs> Not afraid yes. of it. <laughs> yes, Oklahoma so. SLPs, don't be afraid of fees. It's a yes. wonderful tool. Yeah. It is. I was scared too until I did it. I was nervous yeah. in my class, but once you do it and even just see it, you realize, you know, wow, yeah. it really does give you a whole new perspective on dysphagia, literally. So Yeah, yes, literally, yeah. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for my final question, Tiffany? Yes. So what, what paper or research article has been a game changer for you in your practice? Um, okay. So I think I'm not copying you, but I think this might be your favorite too. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. think I've heard you say this, but Langworth's predictors of aspiration pneumonia, you know, still it's an old paper, but it's still just such a, a game changer. I feel like, you know, it came out in the nineties, but still a lot of SLPs practice like we don't have that information and you know we can't be so scared of pneumonia that we don't treat our patients right you know we know that most patients with dysphagia don't get pneumonia there are a lot of other factors involved in that and I know Dr. Ashford talked a lot about that too but 
you know, we can't be so afraid of aspiration of pneumonia that we don't work on their swallowing, which is why they're there. And, you know, again, going back to if they aspirate once, don't stop the study. Let's watch them aspirate because, you know, unless they have a feeding tube and they're not eating at all, they're probably aspirating anyway. So let's watch it and let's figure out what's going on and, you know, use that information to rehabilitate their swallow. Yeah. And, you know, let's make their swallow work with the foods they want to eat, not the other way around. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think just realizing, you know, that not everyone with dysphagia gets pneumonia and, you know, not to be so afraid of that can really be a game changer, you know, for anyone's practice. Yeah. yeah. I love just thinking of it like, you know, don't just stick a bandaid on it when we can, we actually have tools to improve it. it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't just see a PT hand someone crutches and, you know, never do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yes. And we have literally seen so many patients like that, that they, you know, were in the hospital for something random and they got a swallow study and they had a peg tube put in and then they went home and then somehow they heard about us six months later and they've just been using this peg tube for six months and, you know, crazy things that seem ridiculous, but it, it, you know, some people are so scared of getting pneumonia with any, you know, aspiration and we have to kind of look past that so we can work to get them better. Yeah. I think, I can't remember when it was a couple of months ago, someone on, some some professor, some researcher on Facebook said something like, because I was talking about how some of our patients just almost get these like death sentences, you know, they get put on thick and liquids and then never, for the rest of right, their life, and then yeah. never reevaluated. And yes. I was talking about one patient that I had had that had been on thick and liquids for two years and had never been reevaluated. And I saw her and I mean, swallow is just beautiful, did not need the thick and liquids. You know, and the the professor or the researcher like lit into me like there's no one that would ever let their patient go two years without reevaluating them. And I was like, oh, oh no, no, no. Yeah. I was like, I see it yeah. every day. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah, glad you're teaching is. your students well, but not everybody else is. So. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely in facilities that way. I mean, same thing when I first started then, you know, and then different nursing homes I would go to. I went to several rural ones, you know. You could go to any table in the dining room and just turn over the cup upside down right. and the liquid wouldn't move yes. and everyone was on such thick liquid, you know. And yeah. Who knows how long it had been that way because right. that was the first SLP coming in in months. So it's just, you know, it yeah. is sad. And especially with our outpatients too, they're living at home and some of them, you know, they're older and they might go to the hospital for something just unrelated and have a swallow study and get put on thick and liquids. And then they go home the next week and they just think they have to use that forever and they're afraid and they don't know, you know, what to do. Yeah. So, um, again, education, patient education and just follow through. So, important. yeah, it's so great. All right. I love everything you said, Tiffany. <laughs> All right. What do you want to add? I think I'm good. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. So where can people find you? Where can they find more about your clinic and your eBooks? And yeah, our website is TulsaSNR.com. And so that's the website for the clinic. And we've got some videos on there kind of about what we do and different things. And then there's a speech store tab where all the eBooks are. So it's kind of the clinic and the book site all kind of combined into one on that website. So yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on swallowyourpridepodcast.com, where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.